Hi, this is Blake Andrews, lead pastor at Victory World Outreach, Denton, Texas. This is our podcast, and we're so glad that you came to check it out today. I hope this message encourages you and inspires you to do great things for God. Paper, but God is moving. Amen? So I want to talk this morning, if you've got your Bibles, about worship, true worship. And how many know today we, we just clapped and we sang and we shouted and we praised and we lifted up the name of Jesus? But how many know I could still ask you the question, did we really just worship? Now this is a question you'll have to answer for yourself and I believe by the time the service is over you'll have a real clear answer. I believe this is a revelation for a lot of people. I had a lot of feedback after the service that had never thought about what I want to talk about this morning. Because when we hear the word worship, we automatically, unequivocally, without a doubt, most likely think of music. We think of singing. We think of clapping. We think of shouting. We think of what we just did. And and I thank God for the opportunity to come in here and worship Him, but I want to show you this morning that there's something way stronger, way deeper, way greater, and more meaningful for what worship is than what we think it is. How many today would think, right off the bat, just being honest, that that's that's what worship is? Clapping, singing, uh, lifting up the name of Jesus. But again, have we truly worshipped? Worship is no longer, T.A.W. Tozer said, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. And today, if you're new to church, a lot, of, a lot of people in this church got saved in this church and had never been in church. So you don't know anything else. You only know this church. You only know what we do. You only know our fellowship. But if you've ever been in the church world, uh, it's been an unfortunate, in my opinion, turn of events in the last few decades where churches have turned their focus to what, the, what would be considered worship not even really truly worship, as you're going to see this morning, but what would be considered worship. And we've dimmed the lights down. We've brought the smoke machines out. We've bought brand new sound systems. We've done, and this, there's nothing wrong with excellence. We want to do everything in excellence. We want to have good things. But unfortunately, churches think that's what worship is. And there's even worship concerts, worship tours, worship groups that go around and and do music, and people are being led astray on what true worship really is. People would walk out of a service and say, those were some beautiful songs, that was a beautiful concert, and think, we've worshipped God, but they haven't really, truly worshipped God in the essence of what worship is. How many are following me? My pastor, and I'm going to quote him, and I love to quote him, it's his quote, and it makes more sense today than it ever has before, And it's going to be a little bit strong, but uh, he says that lots of churches have worship orgies. So you go to church and people would say, man, the music was amazing, man, blah, 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 blah. But there's no change in their life, no change in, in their heart, no repentance. They don't know what message was preached. But the worship was good. You heard me mention not too long ago, a lot of churches today will do two hours of songs and ten minutes of the word. Amen? So there's, there is something that is the core of what worship is. And I want to talk about that this morning. Jesus said this in John 4. We're going to start and end in John 4. He said this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay? God is spirit, 
and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, I pray today that you anoint my words, anoint my speech, anoint my thoughts, God, to get out of my heart what's on these pages so that these men and women can have a revelation of what true worship is. It will change their lives, God, and they will get them to a place where your hand will be upon their lives in a way it never has been before. Devil, you are defeated and all your powers are disarmed on the cross. And I thank you for your anointing this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. How many would like to find out what true worship is? If you're taking notes, I believe biblically that true worship comes out of true tests. Say that with me, tests. It's kind of hard to put the S on that one, right? True worship comes out of true tests, and you'll see that through the Bible. We think that worship, again, and listen, I don't want to, I don't want to take away from, don't get me wrong, the importance of singing and clapping and shouting and praising because that's in the Bible. And as a matter of fact, by the time this is over, the word that I'm going to teach you, because there is one key word, some from the 9 o'clock service that are on the serve team already know what it is. They got the cheat sheet. But there is one word that you're going to see biblically is the core and the key to true worship. And it has nothing, say nothing, to do with singing. Has nothing to do with instruments. Has nothing to do with anything that we, that we think is, 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 it's not music. True worship. And so we're going to look at that this morning. But true worship comes out of true tests. And God is a God, as you'll see in a few minutes, that tests. Corey Ten Boom, who is the Holocaust survivor that I quote a lot, she had some tests. Anybody who survived the Holocaust had a test. And she made this statement that is so good for worship. She said, I've learned to hold all things loosely so that God will not have to pry things out of my hands. I've learned to, to handle all things loosely, okay? We are a people today that like to hold on to things. Somebody was telling me after service, go back to that nursery and try to pry something out of the kid's hand, Right? And you got that story of the monkey where they catch the monkey by putting the, the peanut inside the hole that he can only get his hand through. And once he gets his hand there and grabs it, there's a fist. The fist won't fit. And that monkey will not let go of that peanut. He would rather die. That's not what God is looking for today. God is looking for a people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And there's a word we're going to get to in a second. I don't want to give it to you yet because I want, I want you to kind of, as you're listening, be thinking be wondering. I already did this test with my wife yesterday, and I want you to get to the place where you maybe go, okay, that's what I was thinking, or wow, I'm, I was way off. But you might be thinking of some words or some attitudes or, or something that is true worship. If it's not music, if it's not the piano, if it's not singing, if it's not clapping, then what, it is, what is it? True worshipers don't just lift hands. They lift loose and open hands. Amen. Imagine this morning, and I'll probably say this again a little later, what it would look like if we raised our hands like this. Everybody had their hands raised like this. It would look weird. But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I would be okay with some of you at least raising your hands like this. The ones that got your hands in your pockets. You'll be so liberated one day when you just, when you just let it go. Like frozen. Just let it go. Amen. How I want to show you this morning about worship is something called, and this is used in Bible, Bible studying, called the, the law or the, or the principle of first 
verse, first verse. Where in the Bible is that mentioned first? We're talking about worship. So where in the book of Genesis or Exodus, where, where was the first time worship was used? That's how we're going to find out what true worship is. When you do that with a study on the Bible, you go back and how many know when it's the first mention is another one. It's important to see where something's mentioned first. Then that is considered kind of the cornerstone of that thought. Every other verse that is brought after is placed around the cornerstone of the first mention of the verse. Does that make sense? So we're going to see this morning what the cornerstone of is of worship. Now as we're thinking about worship and I start to think about stories... As I began to think about this, I thought of many stories in the Bible. For example, Joshua and the walls of Jericho. We remember that they marched around those walls, and then the walls came tumbling down. You think about worship. Jehoshaphat might come to your mind, where they defeated the Moabites with their worship in 2 Chronicles. You might think about David, who wrote all these psalms. that are so many songs that we sing, and David dancing and singing. And all these different things might come to your mind. Another one you might think of is Paul and Silas. They were in that jail cell. They were locked up. They were dark in there. It was in a dingy dungeon. And they said, we're going to worship God. And they began to worship God. So lots of stories can come into your mind. And all of them are good. And all of them have a theme. But most of the time, listen to this, most of the time the singing, clapping, praising, and shouting happens after what I'm looking for this morning. Okay, which is true worship. So we're going to look at a story in the Bible that's very interesting because in this story, once again, there's no keyboard, there's no drums, there's no harp, there's no clapping or raising of hands, and it's actually an old man and his son, a hundred-year-old man named Abraham, and a 12-year-old boy named Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, if you'll go there with me. Abraham and Isaac is the first place you see worship in the Bible. Now as we look at this, we're going to read a story here. And I want you to stay with me in the understanding of what we're talking about with praise and worship and what we think worship is and what God considers to be worship. So how many know the story of Abraham and Isaac? Let me see your hand if you've heard the story before. If you haven't, you're going to hear it today and I'm going to give you the gist of it. But here we see... Let me, let me actually go to the end and tell you what happens. He wants Abraham to sacrifice, literally and physically, his son Isaac. On a, on, a, on a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, he wants to, him to take his life and sacrifice him unto God. So that's the end result of what God wants. So imagine Abraham, knowing that he is the promise, his son is the promise of his, of his lineage, and God says this to him in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that, I already said this, God what? Does God test us? Yes. Why? We're going to find out. God tested Abraham because true tests bring out true worship. So he said, Abraham. Abraham did the first act of worship. Here I am, Lord. Abraham, here I am. The first thing we got to do is make ourselves available to God. Okay? He says, here I am, Lord. Next verse. Now, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. When you really study the scriptures, I've learned this over the years. It's pretty interesting. A lot of times they'll say that when there's commas, 
That would be a place. Because remember when they wrote the Bible, there was, there was no commas. There was no uh, numbers. There, it was just straight words. But if you think about this, and God is saying these things to Abraham, how many know that when God tells us something, we as human beings think, we rationalize, we respond, and Abraham says, take your son. How many know Isaac had two sons? So he's probably thinking, which son? So God answers, your only son, Isaac. And then God, Isaac probably says, but, but father, I have two sons. Your only son, Isaac. How many know that story? Whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now just stay there for a second and be, put yourself in this position, guys. What can, how many fathers here, mothers, whatever, doesn't matter if you're a mother or father, this is a father this time, can even imagine God asking you to take your own child and go and sacrifice him? What would you do? Put yourself in those shoes. But God is asking him to do it. We've got to get to a place in our lives that we trust God. Amen? Thank you for that one lonely amen, that second one that came after. That We've got to get to a place in our lives that we trust God. God will test people who truly trust him. Because he knows how they'll come through. So maybe if you're not being tested, maybe God can't trust you. Maybe you don't want to be tested. I do, because I want to trust God. And I want to show God I trust him. Nobody does great things for God without tests. It's just part of what, what the Christian walk is. Amen? So here we are, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him and give him to me. And now the next verse says this, so Abraham did what God said. Write this down real big in your notes. This is the key word. Obedience is true worship. Obedience is true worship. As we get into this story, I'm just going to take, take it down for just a second so they don't look at it. I want us to picture this, what this means. Obedience is something God is asking for from us. And it is true worship. You have to trust me on that, that I'm going to show you in the story that that's the case. But how many times do people come into services in church settings or worship settings or whatever and, and sing and clap and praise God but aren't truly worshiping Him because they're not living a life of obedience? It, it doesn't cost me anything to sing. It doesn't cost me anything to clap or it may cost me a little more of my pride, I guess is what it is, to raise my hands or to shout. But those things don't cost me anything. But true worship costs something. True worship costs obedience. And obedience, the Bible says, is better than sacrifice. So many people today in churches think that they're praising and worshiping God and they're lifting their hands and they may sing and they may have a great feeling of God being there, but God is not pleased with them because they're not walking in obedience. Obedience pleases God, right? Is there anything you can think of that God wants or needs or desires more than obedience? No. 
That is true worship. So that will change the way we look at worship that, yes, we do the act of clapping our hands, the act of raising our hands, the act of singing, the act of closing our eyes, the act of of shouting unto the Lord. But if we're not doing it in the spirit of obedience, we're not doing it in the true spirit of worship. How many are following me? Let's put this back up. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and you're going to see here 12 A and Ds, 12 Ns, which are things that God asks him to do. And he rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went. You know what he's doing when he's doing the ands? He's obeying. God is not looking for outward expression of worship. He's looking for inward obedience that will have an outward expression. Many people, we have a saying in ministry, especially when we're dealing with with people in ministry, there are people sometimes who are standing up on the outside but sitting down on the inside. Amen? In worship, there are many people who are raising their hands and singing and clapping, and you can put on a great facade. And listen, I'm not talking about people who worship in spite of pain, who worship in spite of things they're going through. I'm talking about people who worship and think that they're praising and singing glorifies God when God is saying, I don't want that. I want your obedience. Are you following me? So and 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 so he's doing these things every time he when he gets the saddle he's he's worshiping God. When he gets the two men to gather the wood he's worshiping God. When he says Isaac come with me he's worshiping God. There's no music, there's no clapping, there's no shouting. When he splits the wood as he's splitting the wood he's worshiping God. Why? Cuz he's obeying God. And he, when he arose, he's worshiping God. See, the whole time, he's worshiping God as he goes to do what God tells him to do. To go to the place God had told him. Now look at verse 4. So on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes. Now he's getting close. Now he sees off in the distance where he's got to go and what he's got to do. And the place was afar off. So now he's getting close. Verse 5. So Abraham said to his young men, now here, this is going to pull it all together. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and what? There's the first mention of worship in the Bible. What is he doing as he's worshiping? He's obeying what God told him to do. And we know in the story, as I told you a few minutes ago, he gets him on the sacrifice he raises his sword or his knife or whatever it is. And I, and I know if it was me, I would have liked to have some organ music. Or a choir singing in the background. Or someone playing on the piano behind me to give me some ambience. To give me some, some feeling about the fact that I'm about to take my son. But he didn't have any of that. Isn't it interesting that the first time we see worship, there's no choir There's no singing. There's no instruments. There's no clapping of hands. True worship is obedience to God. 
Now, how many of you today that can't clap good, can't sing good, and don't play an instrument just got really excited inside? Amen. Because those are great things. We want great music. We want great musicians. We want all that. But if you know us in this place, and in our church, and in our fellowship, we don't, we don't look for the talent. We look for the availability, and we look for the obedience, and we look for the willingness, and we look for the heart, and we look for people who know how to pray, and we look for people who are living a holy life. Because, listen, we're not in everybody's house every day, but if you serve in this church, we have expectations for ministry. And those are, those are all expectations of obedience. So that we can be living a holy life and we can be getting up here on the platform to sing or working on the safety team or working with your kids and we can be anointed by the Holy Spirit out of our constant act of worship, which is obedience. How many are with me? So he goes and he worships. It's the first time we see the mention. Did I finish the verse? I'm not sure if I did or not. And we will come back to you. So in this, I want to show you a few things. True worship says, God, I, have, I don't have anything that's off limits to you. Everything, Abraham said, God, my son, my only son is not off limits to you. God asks for things sometimes that don't make sense to us. He knew that God had promised him that he was going to use his son and his lineage to have the sand, as many sand as there is on the seashore, as many stars as there are in the sky. And even that seed that was so precious, he said, I'm, I'm going to give it to you, Lord. There's no limits to what you can ask me for. But what's interesting, and I, and I love this about God's character, is God will never ask you for something he won't do himself. Because this is a story where he's asking Isaac to give his only son, knowing that down the road, he's really going to give his only son. He was only testing Abraham to see if he would, but God is a God who doesn't ask for things he wouldn't do himself. That's what makes Jesus and the gospel so awesome. Jesus didn't tell us he loved us. He showed us he loved us. It says, obedience even to the point of the cross. True worship says, I have no boundaries God cannot cross. How many are like us and you have a no soliciting thing on your house? You don't want anybody to come up and knock on your door. Anybody else? We, we, I, we have no soliciting for God. We don't put that for God. God, you can come in. Everything I have is yours. That's what God's looking for, full access. True worshipers say, God, you can have anything you want from me. It's all yours. Loose hands. Amen? So, singing makes no demand on your life, but true worship does. Now I want to quote another person in the Bible that's been around from the very beginning, named Job. We use that story all the time. Job had a test. Job lived a life that was so full of worship that God himself said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? You know why? I don't know about you. I'm not saying this morning, and God knows it, that I want to go through what Job went through, but I want God to brag on me like he bragged on Job. Have you considered my servant? They'll, they won't fail me. 
Now think about this. If God's asking you to, to be tested and asking you to do something that's hard for you, you know what that means? It means he trusts you. Not only do we trust God, but he trusts you. That he can, he can trust that you'll do what he asks you to do. And he's always done that since the beginning of time. So Jacob, Job loses everything. He, lo- he lost his wife. He lost his kids. He lost his house. He lost his, he had, he had cattle. He had what would be for us today, cars. He had riches. He had everything. His family would have parties. Everything was great. He lost it all. And he's sitting in a pile of ashes. And in Job 121, he says, powerful words of true worship. Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I'm going back. If we can get to that place, God can do amazing things in us. That at the clothes that I have on today, God gave me, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. See, we like when he gives, but we don't like when he takes away. But if, you're, if you've been saved long enough to know, and you're new in the Lord, you'll figure this out. When he asks for something, he always gives something back better. Always. That's the God he is. He asks us for our lives, but he gives us eternal life. Everything he ever asks us for is a test. What God is looking for is is when we have a church service and the presence of God fills the place, that we don't brag on the singing and the instruments, but we brag on the fact that God showed up in spite of our humanity. And that we put ourselves in a place, in, in my raising of my hands, in my clapping, in my singing, that I am saying as I sing the song, God, you are doing something in my life right now, and I totally surrender to you. I totally uh, offer my life to you. I give you my obedience. And when a church comes together and they worship that way as fruit of their obedience, that's when God moves. Clapping and the singing and the shouting is the fruit of the obedience. Naked I came, naked I'm going back. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And put that up one more time, please, and watch what he says at the end. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's true worship. I've, I've lost everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. True worship says God there's, no, there's no, no trespassing signs. Anything you want. How many would like to get to that place? Anything I have is yours. Amen? You may not be there, but you can ask to get to that place. Worship is not you coming to God to see what he's going to do. Worship is God coming to you to see what you're going to do. True worship is when we're in true obedience to God. As we're around Christmas time, I'm thinking about the Magi. I thought of them as I was preparing this message. The, the, the men, the wise men from the east, they're called. We don't know, I mean, we do know, I didn't look it up today. I've looked in the past how far they traveled, but they traveled to come see Jesus, right? And we know the end of the story, and Matthew shows that they come in and they kneel down and bow down to Jesus and they give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What was their act of worship? Their sacrifice to go to Jesus. What, was their, what were they told to do? Follow the star. And along the way of following the star to get to Jesus, they were worshiping their whole way because they were obeying what God told them to do. Along the way, they get stopped by Herod. Herod says, hey, uh, 
Let me know where the baby is so I can go and worship him too. Lots of people think they're worshiping God, but they have ulterior motives. True worship is when our obedience is truly, totally to God. Amen? Now I want to finish in John chapter 4. Back in the story I started in. I'm not going to put the verse up yet, but how many know the story of John and John and Jesus and the woman at the well? You know that story. He goes to her and he says, I want a drink. And she says, how are you going to get water? You don't even have anything to pull the water out with. And he says, I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about living water. If you'll drink this water, you'll never thirst again. And so Jesus is dealing with her and confronting her. True worship confronts you. When you're truly worshiping God, he's confronting your sin. He's confronting the way you're living. He's confronting your lack of obedience to his word. Amen? And when you get to the place that you obey, now your worship is true. He's talking to this lady, and it's interesting because he says to her, go get your husband and come back with you and bring him back with you. Remember the story? Go get your husband and bring him back with you. So here's an opportunity for an act of obedience. The problem is, is she's not married. The problem is she doesn't have a current husband. And so she says, I don't have a husband. So instead of her going and, and uh, obeying what Jesus said, she had to confront the truth. Are you with me? She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. And the man you're currently with is not your husband. So he confronts her right there in her sin. When you are truly worshiping God, God is truly pricking your obedience and when you truly respond, God does true miracles. Amen? But if we try to act like God doesn't know, and we just come into church and put on a facade and raise our hands and clap and shout and do all those things, we can look like we're walking in a life of obedience, but God knows the truth. So we're not truly worshiping God. We're just doing what man has made worship to be, which is shout and sing and clap and make noise and, and look like you got it all together. Amen. And God is saying, you don't have it all together. You're not obeying me. And I'm not talking about a mistake you make today or a human error that we make as sinners. I'm talking about living in disobedience to God's word. That means nothing to him. He looks down and sees your tears and sees your hands and sees your song and all he wants is your obedience. Amen? So he says, you have no husband, and the one you've had, you're not with, you're not, he's not, the one you're with is not your husband. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. And then listen to this. The very next wor words out of her mouth, she, she starts to talk about worship. If you read before, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to have, I don't think I have this in there. Can you get 20? I have 21, but I, I left this verse out. Let me know when, 
get 20 up there. Because she, she says, this is the revelation. God confronts her and says, you're not, the man you're with is not your husband. And for some reason, out of, at a well with no music, she talks about worship. You with me? Got it? Do you get what I just said? Let me say it again. Go bring your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. The one you're with is not your husband. You've been married five times. He confronts her obedience. She gets a revelation, and for some reason, no music, no instruments. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She connects obedience to worship and says, and you Jews say that in, that, that in Jerusalem is the place so what she's doing is she's doing what so many people do. She's trying to make worship a song or a place. Worship is not a song or a place. Worship is obedience. And you, you, you make Jerusalem the place we ought to worship. Then Jesus says, watch this. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, nor will it be a certain song, nor will it be a certain beat, nor will it be a certain thing. It won't, it, worshiping the Father, next verse, will be what, what you don't know. We, what we, we know what we worship, he says. For salvation is of the Jews. What is salvation? Salvation is God, oh, Jesus obeying God's word to come down and become the lamb, sacrificial lamb for our sins. Amen? So he says, you don't know what true worship is, but the hour's coming and now is. He was saying, now is. I'm, I'm, I am worship because I am obeying what the Father has told me to do. All throughout Jesus' walk, when you read his scriptures, what did he say? I'm obeying the Father. I'm talking to the Father. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the Father's will. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. In other words, there's coming a time when people will stop just clapping their hands and singing and praising, and they'll start actually living their life for me like they've died to themselves and given their life to me and given me an act of obedience more than sacrifice. Is anybody getting anything? So it's not my talent. It's not the beautiful song. And listen, I love music. I love worship. I love singing. All those things. But that's not what worship is. And we have been confused for too long. And today, that's, that's what the church focuses on. People go to church and go, I didn't like the music. What if the word was good? How many people today are in churches where the music is amazing and the word's not that great, and they're there. And the other, there's other places where the, the word is being preached in truth, and the music's not that great. Which, which, what are we going for? The word is what changes us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Never said faith comes by worshiping. The way I worship Jesus, as the musicians begin to come, is I obey God. Yes, Lord, I'll go there, Lord. I'll do that, Lord. I'll say that, Lord. I'll give that, Lord. I'll stop, Lord. I'll stay, Lord. Whatever it is the Lord is asking us to do. And so Jesus in that story, to end that part, was basically saying, you've had some seriously bad relationship problems. 
and you're trying to fix your life and make yourself happy out of relationships. You keep trying man after man, and God is saying, when you really worship me is when you're going to realize that it's not the man that's in your life, it's me that's in your life. If you've got anything this morning in your life that is greater than God, more important than God, then you've got the cart before the horse. Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. Jesus wants to be number one. Jesus wants to be everything. Not second fiddle, third fiddle. He wants to be the first one. He wants to be the last one. He wants to be the middle one. He wants to be who you call on. He wants to be your breath, your life, your peace, your joy, your reason for being. The Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. Worship is saying God I trust you even when my eyes don't see it. Lord, your worship is your will be done even when my heart doesn't feel it. Do you think Abraham felt like worshiping God as he was taking his son's life? Do you think that Paul and Silas felt like worshiping God as they had been beaten for preaching Jesus? Their obedience was their worship. True worship says this, I'll follow you, Lord, even when my mind doesn't understand it. That's not blind faith. That's true faith. And Psalms 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. What that tells me is true worship is humility and a spirit and an attitude of obedience. Lord, today, I think that you've spoken a, a word to us that's going to transform how we worship because our worship is going to be true, because our worship is going to be real, because our worship is going to be genuine, because, Lord, today we have understood that singing is beautiful and musicians is great and instruments are wonderful and clapping is great. All those things are things that we do literally out of obedience because you said it all through the Psalms to do them. But, God, we can do those things and not truly be worshiping you. And on the flip side, we can have no music, no, no song, no beat, know anything that has to do with music, and we can be truly worshiping you out of our obedience. Today, Lord, get us to a place of total obedience and spirit of true worship. And the first thing we do in our obedience is we say, God, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Is there something, are there things in my life today that I worship in other words, that I give my obedience to more than you. Let that simmer in your spirit today. Let, let the Holy Spirit speak to you today about that. Are there things, if we're, if we're breaking this down and making this about what the message is, are there things in your life that you obey more than you obey God's word? Do you obey your boss more? Do you obey your spouse more? Do you obey the laws more? Do you obey your desires more? Do you obey your feelings more? Whatever it is, God wants that obedience. God deserves that obedience. 
And when we give him that obedience and we take the limits off and we take the, the no trespassing signs down and we lift, we pry our hands, our fingers off of our stuff and we lift up holy hands and we say, Lord, I'm going to worship you with loose hands because everything you have given me is yours and everything you want to take, you can have back because nothing I have is mine. Naked I came in, naked I'm going out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. How many all over this place today are willing to say, God, I want to be a true worshiper. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want my, my life to be a life of obedience. God sees your heart today. God sees your desire today. It's, it's a desire. It's a decision every day to obey his word. Today, if you're here and, and you've never given Jesus the lordship of your life, the first step of obedience is not clapping and not singing and not shouting. It's, yes, God, I surrender my life to you. I'm not my own, as the Bible says, as Paul said, I've been bought with a price. How many all over this place, watching online, listening on the podcast right now could say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Today, I feel him calling me, and today I want to surrender my life to him. Would you just lift up your hand and put it right back down all over this congregation? Just say, that's me. Pray for me. I've never said the prayer of putting my faith in Jesus. I've never been born again. I want my name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life today. Maybe you're here and you've known him at some point, but today you're walking in disobedience. You know the life that you're living. You know the things that you're doing. You can't fool God. Get your heart right with God. Get, get clear with God. Get, get real with God. Humble yourself in his presence and let him show you the things that are in your life that you don't need. They're just an obstacle. Let's stand all over this place, and as we stand today, I want, to do a, I want to do a prayer with those listening online and those watching watching and listening on podcasts. I want, to, I want them to have an opportunity right now to put their faith in Jesus. I want you to say this with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I fall short of your glory. I can only go by what your word says, and your word says the wages of my sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. I believe you died on the cross, a horrible death, and you took my sins and my rebellion and my disobedience on your body. You died a horrible death to take my place. Then you went into the grave, and three days later, you rose from the dead, and you defeated death. And Jesus, today, because of that, because I believe that, I'm saved. Please forgive me for all my sins. Wash me clean with your precious blood and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just did that, we just thank God for it. Thanks again for listening. If you want to hear more messages, please subscribe to our podcast channel. And if you like it, consider rating it and sharing it with your friends. For more content from VWO Denton, go to our website at vwotexas.com.